Hi and welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project podcast for the 31st of August 2019. This is your host Nigel Creaser and this month the Sunday Lunch Project manager meets Patty McLaughlin, the PGMP. But first, a word about sponsorship. This month's were sponsored by my new book. Yes, my new book. The Alexa book I've been banging on about for several months now, Boost Your Brand with Alexa and WordPress, is available in the Kindle store or through Kindle Unlimited or the Kindle Owners Lending Library. It's a departure from my usual comedy project management book so far, and this is intended to show people the first steps in voice enabling their brand for their small business, freelance business, club, society, or maybe even a project, and without spending loads of money and time. So if you are interested in that Alexa voice stuff and thinking about how you might be able to do a bit of marketing or do some promotion on that, or if you know someone who might be interested in that kind of thing, then please pass it on. Again, it's called Boost Your Brand with Alexa and WordPress, and there will be a link in the show notes for you to get it. And remember, the first book, When I Were a Project Manager, is permanently free on Kindle, so grab a copy from there. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, then please get in touch at sundaylunchpmpod at nigelcreaser.com. So in the news, what's been going on? As I said, you probably have just heard, my Alexa book is completed-ish. The Kindle version is done. I'm working through the paperback now. Finished the edit uh, and the formatting, which has been a bit of a pain because I've had to look at how it will look. And there's a limit on the size and shapes. So it's going to be a fairly hefty 8.5 by 8.5 book. And uh, I was going to do it in colour, but the price is a bit prohibitive. So the internal part will be black and white. And uh, I'm just finishing the cover at the moment, which again has proven a bit more time consuming than I'd like. And with the busy holidays and stuff, I'm hoping to get that done and proofed out um, middle of next month so i'm bound to shout about it on this podcast the talking of the podcast it's going well i now have done all of the interviews i need to do for this year which is great i was nervous about whether i'd be able to even achieve the one a month and to be in august and actually i have january's in the bag as well is really good i just need to get some more guests now lined up because i haven't got any lined up yet but I'll start chasing people down after the holidays. And uh, yeah, that'll be brilliant. But let you, to let you know what's going coming up, we've got uh, Joe Puzz, a.k.a. PMO Joe, coming on next month. In October, we've got Mike Clayton, the online PM course guy. And in November, we've got Ron Rosenhead. So they're really good. Uh, I mentioned last time I might start adding some additional episodes in. Um, not done anything with that yet but keep your eye out and i'm on the that's all there is to do with the podcast what else is there i'm just about to go on holiday so this is i'm recording this now 
in middle of August to get it out of the way before I go on holiday. I'm going to tour the south coast of England and the Jurassic Coast, looking for dinosaurs. And I'll be reading the second part of Colin's book, Colin D. Ellis's book, The Project Book, which focuses on the vital role of the sponsor. What I've read so far has been quite illuminating because I've not done that role of a sponsor. And I'm not sure I've seen anyone else do the role of a sponsor in the way that Colin talks about it. So anyway, that's all there is. Quite a short one to this week, this month even. And so get on, I'm going to get let you get on and listen to the interview. Thanks very much, and I'll speak to you after. Bye. So today I'd like to welcome to the Sunday Lunch Project podcast, Patty McLaughlin. I hope I've said that right. PMP and PGMP. Uh, born in Canada, and after years of living on the East Coast, Patricia, known as Patty, relocated to Evergreen CO, which I think is Colorado, this is my uh, geography not great, in 2009. Described as a global compliance implementation project man- and program manager, she enjoys mentoring and sharing industry best practices. She's received a bachelor's degree from Tucson University and earned a certificate in project and program management. Uh, she's worked at places such as Ta- Talisis, Marriott International and Western Union and was the 800 and 62nd person to obtain the PMI's PGMP, the Program Management Professional Certification, and works um, in the project management profession and also provides mentoring through the PMI. So welcome to the show, Patty. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Brilliant. So let's start right at the beginning of uh, when Patty appeared in Canada. Where in Canada and what, what, what tell me about Canada and your, your early times. Sure. So I was born in Renfrew, Ontario, Canada. It's a little small town about an hour west of Ottawa, the capital. And Renfrew is most known for um, actually hockey tape. So I'm a big hockey fan, and if you wonder where all those hockey players get their hockey tape from, it's my little uh, my little town of Renfrew. So, so as a Brit over here, obviously you being Canadian, you have to be a hockey hockey fan. I think it's part of the genes, isn't it? But what's hockey tape then? So hockey tape is used on the hockey sticks, um, and you know just helps the hockey players give them support, have them Uh, have the to uh, shoot that puck and. I am a big hockey fan. I have um, a cousin in my family that played professional hockey for wow. the Calgary Flames. And uh, now I'm actually, now we cheer for the New York teams. Um, it's playoff hockey season here in the U.S. And uh, my husband's from New York, so we cheer for the New York teams. Um, but uh, hockey is a big part of, uh, of our lives, watching it now and going to games. Brilliant, brilliant. And did you play hockey yourself? No, I didn't. I uh, just um, love watching it and and uh, didn't didn't do it myself. But I do enjoy ice skating. Ah, right. Well, that's a that's a whole uh, yeah. I'm like Bambi on ice when I'm ice skating. So that's quite <laughs> a, different different experiences there. So you said you're in uh, you said New York there, and I, I said that you'd relocated to Evergreen CO, which is 
is that Colorado? Is that right? Are you in New yes, York now? Yes. So I I do live in Evergreen, Colorado now, um, and it it's reminds me. My town reminds me a lot of growing up in Canada mm-hmm. because uh, we just had we just had snow a week ago, so it still <laughs> comes and goes here. But um, Evergreen is about twenty minutes uh, away from Denver, and. Um, we're known, our town's known in the foothills. So we're kind of like, if you heard of some of the big ski resorts in Colorado, like Vail or Breckenridge, yeah. you would fly into Denver and kind of pass our town and, and head up to the ski resorts. So we, um, we're usually about 10 degrees cooler than Denver. And um, it's a nice little town with, uh, we have a lot of wildlife here. <laughs> Yeah. walking through the neighborhood and uh it's um it's a it, it's a nice place to live brilliant so you say you're there you've got and then you mentioned your husband and you, i don't know we were talking before you you have a little one as well what, what, what what's family for you then sure so um i have been married to my husband ryan for six years um and we have a two-year-old he's almost two and a half son named Torin, and he loves he loves to play he keeps me busy um we also have a cat and a fish and (laughs) um all of my uh all of our parents um are back on the east coast of uh the u.s in uh new york area uh, Florida, Pennsylvania area, and then the rest of my uh, immediate family also still resides in Canada. Right. All right. Cool. So you're spread around quite a lot then. Yes. Yeah. So you said you grew up in Renfrew. What, what was it? Uh, what was it like growing up in Renfrew, Ontario? So growing up in Renfrew was really, it was really fun. Um, we spent a lot of time growing up. Um, with my grandparents um they had a huge farm and most weekends were spent um out you know playing outside jumping in hay um (laughs) gardening um being around animals just just you know really uh doing a lot of stuff outside i know that i love to ride my bike around the neighborhood um you know i had a lot of friends in school um and you know i i the funny thing is, I always remembered going to school almost in a snowsuit. <laughs> so um, I, I think my son's going to be like that too now, growing up in Colorado. But um, we just, uh, you know, we d- we did a lot of a lot of stuff outdoors. And then when um, my when I was twelve, my mom remarried, and we moved to the U.S. So um, I relocated with her and um, my stepfather, we moved, uh, lived in Maryland. So we moved to Gaithersburg, Maryland at the beginning of seventh grade for me. Right. And then I went um, to high school and college in Maryland and then moved to Virginia for a couple of years. And then I ended up in Colorado in 2009. Ah. So you've traveled a little bit then. I have, I have, and I've done, uh, you know, traveled in, in living different places, and then I also enjoyed traveling kind of um, years ago before um, when I had a little bit more time, you know, I've been to Europe a couple of times, and just cruises, vacations, just, I like to go out and do and see stuff. Nice, nice. Yeah. So, so in this time when you were in uh, Renfrew or when you were in uh, Maryland, 
What did you want to be when you grew up? Was it a project manager? No, you know, it's funny. When I think about a project manager growing up, I don't even think I knew what a project manager was. <laughs> you know, I, I just like, yeah. even even through school or college when I was going, it wasn't really a an area of study. You know, I, I don't even think I've heard that knew a project manager or heard that term. So I think when I was really young, you know, when you have like, when you go through school, sometimes you have those those every year you take a school picture and you get like, what do you want to be? When I look back at those, I think initially I wanted to be a teacher and then I wanted to be a lawyer, um, which, you know, that didn't pan out. But I think, (laughs) I think when, um, when I was in high school, I actually had a really great business teacher and I was taking like some of the, you know, business related classes. And, um, I remember in high school, I won this like little award for my business classes. And I think that's when I really became like interested in more business, business management and getting an understanding of kind of what goes on in, um, in business. And I, to this day, I still think one of the most important classes I took in high school was typing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I can, I can empathize with that. I remember doing that and, and well, um, back when I was doing it, it was on a mechanical typewriter. Um, but, um, it means that typing emails these days or status reports is, um, a bit quicker than some other people I see across the desk sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's, it's it's a benefit. It definitely is. Um, yeah, so those are kind of my interests. And then I, you know, then, then as I, I moved into college, I, I, you know, you try to go into school and, and pick a major, or have an idea of where you, where you should be going. At least I wanted to when I, when I started college. And so then I, um, I chose my major to be business administration. And, um, one of the things that we had to pick was kind of a concentration and it could have been just management or it could have been, Um, marketing, or it could have been human resource management. And I just chose management because I wasn't quite sure exactly what I wanted to do. So that kind of gave me a more um, general approach of classes I could take and see different areas of business to focus on. And um, it turned out to be a good major for me going forward. Mm, So you were were kind of setting yourself up for project management but without the project bit i was without knowing what still what a project manager was yeah. and you know when i think back to those days i you know i i don't i i really don't think i i know exactly when i when i found out when um what a project manager was which we'll probably touch on in a little bit but um back at back in college i can't say i really knew what one was at, <laughs> then yeah it's not a surprise it's it's um uh, yeah i've yet to speak to someone who is uh uh well my my children tell me they don't know what i do for for a living anyway so um i think it's it is quite a, an odd concept a project manager as a general thing so you, you you're saying you did you major in um in uh, in management and uh so was that in, so I said Tucson, is that Towson University, Tucson University? 
It is Towson. Towson, I said. Towson University, which is in Towson, Maryland, and it's right, it's very close to Baltimore. Um, So I was there for four years and uh, and did my, and got a Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration with my concentration in in management. And then, um, you know, in terms of just education afterwards, once I began working in the project manager role, then I focused on continuing my education with certifications. As you mentioned, my project management professional, my PMP certification, I got that in 2009, and then the program management certification in 2013. Cool. So, You've you went to, to to you did your business administration. You you mentioned um, that you were, you were thinking about but being a lawyer and that didn't work out. Was that something you you started to go down towards, or was it just kind of just not something that you uh, thought you would go for? Was that a real one there? I think it. Um, I think just I think there were a couple of things that kind of steered me in a different in the different direction. You know, as I. As I got older, I realized just how much schooling was involved in doing that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think back then, honestly, I wasn't, you know, being a project manager, I've certainly gained more confidence in terms of um, uh, just communication and, and speaking. But, you know, there was a point in time where you think about, you know, a teacher speaking in front of a classroom or, you know, a lawyer speaking in front of a courtroom and all those people staring at you. Yeah. Um, I think back then I just wasn't, um, you know, that kind of just, it steered me in a different direction. And I just, I didn't, uh, I I think it was, you know, I, I, I was looking at um, business management or if for the lawyer route, it probably would have been the criminal justice path. And then as I got kind of closer to high school, I figured, well, maybe I'd have more opportunities um, going the business route. Yeah, sounds like a logic. There's uh, lots of different twists and turns on what makes us uh, step different ways. So so obviously you, you didn't uh, jump, jump out of university with a project management degree, or, uh, diving in to do a project manager, and you probably would have struggled to find one. Um, and, I, and I see... Um, you had a couple of roles before you were project manager. Do you want to tell us about your first role then? Sure, sure. So, you know, when I, uh, you know, as I was going through school, I, um, in a, when, when I was in high school, I had an office assistant job. So this was just like a little, you know, kind of a, just helping out in an office environment. And really, besides babysitting back in the early day, I've always had office jobs. So, when I um, when I graduated and had my you know business administration degree, I was like, okay, well, you know, what do I do now? So I was looking for um, positions that would match up with with my degree and what I've learned. And in in um, college, I towards my senior year, I also had an internship, so I had a lot of you know office work experience. Uh, continuously, even on school breaks, just leading up to, you know, now having this degree. And then um, I was hired my first job, which was Hanger Orthopedic Group. And it was an orthotics and prosthetics company. And I worked um, directly for 
one of the financial controllers. And it was probably like the best position that I could get to kind of lead, you know, lead me in my career path. I learned so much in that position, um, you know, just from being in a professional office environment, I um, learned about, you know, financial statements and doing taxes and leases and just a whole variety of, um, of financial, you know, duties that a controller does and assisting, uh, assisting with all of those um, tasks on a daily basis. And um, my, after being there for a little while, my controller that I worked directly for uh, told me he was leaving the company, which was very sad at the time because I enjoyed so much working with him and learning from him. And he told me he was going to a company called Execustay, which was a corporate housing company um, at the time. And I thought, oh, wow, that, you know, that's a good opportunity for him. And, um, you know, he had suggested to me that, you know, if he, if it was possible, he would like me to join him. And, you know, this job would have been awesome to get because it was much closer to my house. And, you know, I was just a 20 something, you know, person working downtown, having to pay a lot of, you know, bills at the time and living on my own. So to get a job closer to home and, not have to pay for parking every day would was a great opportunity, um, and sure enough, you know he uh, he um, stayed true to his word, and you know I there was open positions at the company, and I was able to apply, and I was able to make the move over to um, Execu's Day, which was corporate housing, and um, it was a wonderful wonderful move for me. Brilliant. So how did you, from that, and, and um, how did you get into the, uh, the the project management arena? How and why did you jump into that uh, that's, that area of business? Sure, sure. So when I moved over to Execustay, I was still kind of in the financial administrator role. I was, um, I was, you know. I went into the company. I was still doing some of the same tasks I did at the, my previous company, but I had the opportunity to kind of show my skills to the owners of Execustay, and I didn't know it at the time. But their company, you know, they had built the company, and their com their goal was to grow the company and sell it to Marriott International, and is and that is what happened. And you know being able to kind of work and go through that acquisition was just incredible. Um, there were more opportunities to um, grow in my role and the IT department was looking for um, a business analyst. And at the time, again, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't quite sure what a business analyst did at the time, mm -hmm. but I, uh, you know, when I looked at the job description, I had the skills. I had, you know, the degree that they wanted for my, you know, going back to my business administration degree. You know, I had been working in, in the finance group. And what they were really looking for was a, for a business analyst to join their team that could help translate requirements from finance to the IT systems. 
So with my background working in that department and then my education, you know, I just, I applied and it turned out that I was the, I was a good fit. Um, and so from that point on, I kind of joined the IT team and I learned about what a business analyst does. You know, I did requirements, I did testing, I, um, I, you know, gathered, did business modeling, I did all of this stuff. But most importantly, I was a business analyst on a project team. And I really, that kind of um, gave me an entry into the project management world where we did, you know, projects on um, implementing new system requirements, projects for finance. Um, a lot of our projects were interfaces for the system. And so, you know, I began working with project managers. And with, through my years at Marriott, you know, my I continued to grow in my career. So I became, I started off in that business analyst position in IT, and then I moved into a systems analyst position. And then from there, just, you know, began more involved in projects and then had the opportunity to start leading my own projects. And um, and that's how my entry to the PM world really started. Yeah. So what, so your first, let, let's go to that first project then. What was that first project? What do you remember about it? And how do you remember the fact that you thought, the fact that it got handed to you as being, you are the project manager for this piece of work? Sure. So, you know, the one of the first projects I remember being a, a part of, not necessarily leading, but being a part of was we were implementing a new um, property management system in Executive Stay, and it was called Oscar. And, um, you know, I was in, in that position, I was uh, the business analyst, I remember I was gathering requirements. I was I was chosen to lead all of user acceptance testing for the application. Um, and I had to plan and and uh, conduct UAT and you know learn processes and everything like that. Um, and it was really a great opportunity to be in like the first real project I was involved in. Um, later on, when I got a chance to to lead myself, um, I moved I moved from Executive to Marriott headquarters, and um, I became part of a small but new group called Enterprise Architecture. And I was working with a wonderful mentor and lady who I love dearly to this day, who really you know kind of gave me the position and we were going to build out the build out this this new um, department and the goal was to um, develop enterprise processes for all of for all of IT so a standard way of doing requirements management a standard way of testing implementing standard tools and processes so it was really building it from scratch and, um, you know, it was just, it was such a great opportunity because we worked with consultants to help us do it, this. We did presentations, we did, um, we built toolkits, we um, 
gathered metrics, you know, we really had to kind of like develop a framework and then roll it out to all of Marriott IT and prove that it would work. And just to be a part of that um, project and succeed, and we had the opportunity to um, share, ex share successes, it was just an awesome experience. And it really allowed me and gave me the confidence to grow in my project management career. It sounds like you had an absolute whale of a time with that one. It yeah. was, um, it was very, it, you know, looking back, I just, you know, I remember all of the work that we, that we put into it and it was just, you know, and I remember people saying to me too, that, um, you know, that we'd never do it like that it would, you know, like people, people would be kind of against it. And we did. And I think that's when I learned that, you know, not everybody likes a project manager. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and to your point earlier, um, not everybody knows what project managers do. <laughs> and, um, but, you know, the one thing I learned by doing that as well is that, you know, project management is just, it's more than just a project. I mean, that was, a big change management effort and um, that's one thing I think I've carried with me in my career going forward is that you know when you approach a project I always said that there you know I had I have one job to do and that's to implement the project but a lot of times it's really about um, it's really a change management effort and then you implement a new process or project or tool or something like that but along the way you really have to get buy-in in order to be successful yeah absolutely there's always going to be people feeling that they're done too um in any project and there'll be some people who it's that whole stakeholder pattern isn't it of so that the people who don't really care about what your project's doing because to them they're not seeing any benefit of it other people who see it as a negative and all fight against you and you've got all those different types of stakeholders and um you don't when when you look at it and you go well we're doing it for the business that for the organization it's an organizational decision to do it that not everyone stands behind an organizational decision and supports you do they that's that is true yeah so it's it's fighting those conflicting uh, um, priorities for it within organizations so you that was your um your your start with project management it sounds like a um, from the way you were doing it there was it was very much a a project about projects about getting those projects in place. It was it was you know we and we did we had to um, we did some pilots you know we we developed these processes at Marriott and then we did pilots with two different IT. Um, groups within the organization. I remember one was m more marketing focused and the other was more financial focused. So we could kind of see the differences between um, between the two areas. Uh, we also at the time rolled out um, tools to help support uh, testing and gather requirements. And we uh, used the rational tool set um, to pilot those. And so it was a constantly working with the project teams that were um, participating on our pilot and getting metrics and feedback from it. 
you know, while remembering that these individuals still have their daily jobs. So they were, you know, they were helping us out with their pilot, these pilot projects, and then, um, and still doing their day-to-day work. But, you know, we took all of that and we had to, um, you know, try to show adoption of our framework. And once we um, successfully uh, came up with our requirements management framework and processes, then we moved on to testing. So we knew, um, you know, the, the, the rate of project success and failure de- depended a lot on requirements. And then after requirements, we, we focused on testing um, within the SDLC framework because um, that was another area where we could definitely use help. So we were kind of tackling each of the different processes and um, it was just really, it's, you know, looking back, it's just really exciting that we were able to do all that work um, really from, from scratch. Excellent. So and um, looking um, on your LinkedIn profile, um, I see that you've been, there's a few places you've been um, since, since Marriott and what, uh, maybe it was the Marriott one, I don't know. What, what would you say would be the, the largest piece of or project piece of work that you've done or program work? And, and when I say largest, it, whether that would be whatever the metric you use, whether that was uh, financial costs, whether that's number of mandates or or amount of business change that you, you've implemented as part of it, what would you say to you felt like the the biggest piece, the biggest project you've had? And, and importantly, what did you learn from it when you were implementing that? Sure. So when I um, when I moved to Colorado, I went to work for Western Union in the in their corporate office, and I um, went to work in uh, in a PMO, a project management organization, in compliance. And um, one of the you know this is this is really I think where a lot of my experience leading from project management into program management also expanded. So I worked on a a global rollout for to implement um, data integrity rules for Western Union. And really what that means, and I guess the most simplest terms is that, you know, if if a customer goes to do a transaction for Western Union, there's certain bits of information that that customer has to provide, whether you're sending money or receiving money. And depending on, um, you know, we want to make sure that um, the company is capturing accurate information. So we have accurate data in our system. So for example, if uh, your credit card number has to be a certain number of digits, we would validate that. If mm-hmm. a driver's license, you know, is a certain number of digits, you know, each field when you're doing a transaction, um, we would validate the information that was in there. And so we came up with this project where we were going to put in data integrity rules so that the information that we were capturing was accurate and that, you know, our systems weren't going to, um, get flooded with bad information. Um, And we did this and we did it per country. So, you know, I worked, Western Union is a global company and I worked with countries from, you know, India to Poland, to Austria, to, you know, 
countries all over the world. And it was a large effort. What we did is we developed a roadmap of what countries we were going to implement these rules. We would have to work with the partners in those countries, um, you know, to identify, you know, what type of um, what type of rules needed to be in place, uh, what kind of regulations are in those countries, what we could implement, what we couldn't. You know, a name in the U.S. Um, may be very different than a name in uh, Brazil, for example, like capturing that information. Mm -hmm. So um, it was a huge rollout effort. And um, in terms of just planning, in terms of time, um, in terms of working with all of those global counterparts. Um, and it was a really great experience. You know, for, for me personally, as a project manager, I learned so much um, working on this project. I learned what I needed to do. I learned a lot of times what I needed to learn <laughs> or, or what <laughs> not to do. Um, and you know, it, it's just, uh, it really, you know, to this day, I still have some relationships with some of those people in different countries that I worked with. And a lot of it, you know, I've never met them. You know, you have to kind of build those relationships over the phone or through video chat or, yeah. and back, you know, back then we weren't actively using video chat, just conference calls. So, um, but it really, it really is a project that I'm very proud of. Excellent. So, we, so, so let's flip it on the other side. Um, what is the biggest project screw up that you've had, and, and what did you learn from it? I always like this question, by the way. I like, like to hear. <laughs> <laughs> well, I like to hear people um, squirm. <laughs> you know, I let me think about this for a minute. So there's. You know, one thing that I've learned in terms of project screw-ups and and planning and everything is, you know, things don't always go according to plan. So one thing that I really learned, especially working in a global environment, is that, um, you know, you have to think that when you're planning stuff, a lot of companies have especially in IT, a lot of companies have freeze periods where they don't roll out code into production. Mm -hmm. So I remember planning an entire rollout of planning a project and then, you know, afterwards learning from other IT counterparts that, well, we can't roll out anything, you know, in um, between Christmas and New Year's because, you know, it's a holiday period or we can't um release anything in January because a lot of our uh, development team is offshore and it's a holiday in the country. Um, you know, so th there's been a lot of like different things where, you know, you plan out projects for me and then I learn from a global perspective, there's some major thing happening in that country. I know for Western Union in particular, Mother's Day, which just passed for us, is um, a huge holiday. And, you know, when you think about the big holidays, you know, as a young project manager, you think about Christmas or, you know, maybe Thanksgiving, yeah. but you don't really think about, I didn't really think about Mother's Day as being that. So how, how come Mother's Day is such a big 
big one for that then How, what what drives that is because it just i think everyone you know everyone that uses the services sends money to their moms ah, and or you know a lot of um transactions are exchanged during that time which i didn't think about you know but again there was you know western union had freeze periods where we did not release code so if you had your project you know if you had a if you had a, a project that needed to be implemented in order for the mother's day holiday you had to plan to get it into production with enough time to make sure it was working you know prior to May um, and that there were no errors. And then as a result, if you had a project that was due to go into production, let's say May 1st, it was not going to go in because it was too close to that Mother's Day holiday. Yeah. So that was one that I had to kind of learn what the, you know, what the, what are the significant um, code releases for a company or, you know, the environment that you're working in, you know, what impacts you? And, you know, I don't think that's, that's sometimes not necessarily a problem with maybe smaller companies or, but from a global perspective, you know, some of the resources that I used were, um, you know, a world calendar, um, learning time zones, um, being considerate of, of, you know, other employees that you're working with in other countries. I mean, really simply to even understanding when they take lunch, <laughs> you know, yeah. because. I suppose, um, yeah, with last, Europe, you get quite big chunks of time where people take long lunches, I suppose. Yeah, and it's just different. And, you know, the one thing that, you know, that I learned is you just, you know, that's why when you're working with other people or you're talking with other people in other cultures or other environments, um, it's best to really take the time as a PM to get to know them or ask them those questions that may just seem obvious, but it doesn't. And, and you know, when you're working with them and, you know, you don't, you don't send them a meeting request when it's their time to go home or when they're, you know, usually eating. I mean, those are those are simple things that you learn along the way, but sometimes they're overlooked if you're if you're not aware of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some interesting advice there. So let's go. Let's go back to the positive. Let's away from the, the screw up type stuff. What would you say? And maybe you've alluded to it before. What would you say is your proudest project delivery? My proudest project delivery, let's say. Well, I, I have, you know, I have a lot of them. I mean, some of them I've already mentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, it's funny. Like, I, I love working on the compliance projects that I've talked to. I just, you know, I have this expression though that I want to share with you because I think it's funny, and um, but I also think it's true. So I've worked a lot in regulatory environments, even in. Um, pretty much in a lot of my uh, my positions because they've been financial services industry and within the financial services industry, there's a lot of regulatory requirements. But I, I have this saying, which I think is a little bit funny, but I always say there's, there's no glory in regulatory. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the reason for that is because, you know, you have to do the project. Like these projects aren't the ones that are going to win the awards and and yeah, um, be customer focused. 
but they are the ones that you have to do so that you don't get fined by the regulators. Yeah. So, um, but you know, that's, uh, that's, that's just always been my saying where I like the regulatory projects because, you know, you get the resources you need, you have to implement by a certain date. And a lot of times you have to back into it. But, um, in one of my, my last positions, um, a project that I am proud of is that we, I was working in kind of a project manager, product manager role, and we were implementing a new project management tool into our organization called Mavenlink. And um, I remember I was off work one day and I came back to work, just a personal day, I came back to work and I was, um, I was asked that, you know, I was asked or kind of told that I was going to just implement this tool in our organization. And that's kind of all I got. Like, <laughs> I was like, here's the tool. This is what we selected. Um, now, you know, Patty, you're going to implement it in our organization. And I wasn't involved in the evaluation of the project management tools, but it was now my job to, you know, roll it out. And I'm proud of this. I'm, I'm proud that we we did it. And we um, it we did implement the tool in, in Talisis. Um, it was, you know, it was it was really kind of given to me to plan, and it allowed me to use all of my skills, everything that I've learned, kind of from being a PM to just how was I going to do it? You know, how was I going to form a work group, kind of put together a timeline? You know, no work directly with the vendor, work with security, work with IT, work with all the different departments, and then also know that this was going to be a, a big change management effort. So um, I had help with different, you know, employees within the organization. And we, you know, we did it, we put together our training, we, uh, we worked with, with everyone. And, you know, we did the rollout, and um, they're they're still using it today. Um, everything is going well. Right. You know, I became an administrator for the tool too, and you know, we we uh, we were able to celebrate our successes too. Once we got it implemented, we all uh, went to Coors Field and enjoyed a great baseball game in the summertime. And so, excellent. Um, yeah, it took us, you know, about about uh, six to nine months to implement, but it was really, I was really proud of it because it was adopted well, it was successful, it was, you know, everybody's continuing to use it. And, um, you know, it was something that I wasn't given much direction on how to do it. I, I was able and I was supported by the leaders in our organization on, on, on how to, how to, uh, roll it out and how to get everyone to adopt using it. Yeah, I think that's it is when you've got something that's dropped on you and being able to and not being part of the solution, uh, the, the choosing of it, it can, can be a poison chalice. It can be seen as, can't it? And it's um, uh, being able to turn that around into a positive is a really good job there. So looking outside of project delivery um, and but related to your projects, what would you say was your proudest project achievement that, let's say, not not necessarily the delivery itself, but 
Is there anything that stands out that you can think of? Um, from from project achievement, you know, just I'm, you know, I want to answer this I question. <laughs> I know it is a good question. It's a very good question, and I want to answer it, you know, a couple of different ways because obviously, obviously, implementing a project and and having it closed out is, you know, is great. But along the way, you know, project achievements, I really. Um, I really feel pride in ha in be having the ability to work with project teams that really don't know me and have the ability to really gain their trust and to, you know, work together to come to an endpoint and implement the solution. And I, I'm not quite sure how, if I'm saying this, you know, the right way, but I really feel like pride in, you know, being able to lead the teams, but allow each of those individual skills of my project team members to come through. Because I think that, you know, as a PM, I've learned that, you know, I, all my project team members are more skilled and more knowledgeable than, than me in their areas. And it's not my job to know what they do. It's just my job to lead and get us to the end solution. So I really feel, you know, pride in that we can work together or that we can, um, you know, just come together to resolve solutions and, and move forward. You know, personally, from a, from a, you know, achievement point of view, I find a lot of my own personal achievement in seeing like everybody succeed. But then also I, you know, I have pride in the success that I've been able to do in terms of achieving my certifications. And then, and now kind of going, and um, as you mentioned, I've been involved in mentoring. And so being able to share kind of my skills with others. Yeah, that's kind of, uh... It does sound because I think earlier on when you were talking about the um, the Western Union one where you had your your relationships that you built with uh, people around the world and I'm guessing it kind of lends to this is that being able to to because as you say they are part of your project team matrixed and got their day jobs as well and being able to um, get the trust and commitment from people who have other things that are probably just as much noise and priority going in um, I can see how that can be uh, how you can that can make you feel like that yes it's 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 really great and it's really great especially when you have the opportunity to meet them you know meet them in person and you know a lot of those global leaders would come to Western Union the corporate office sometimes and travel there and I'd have a chance to to um, to meet them there was one time where I had the opportunity to travel to Germany and I worked a lot with the German team and, and got to meet people, you know, in person. And if, you know, if, if I ever have the opportunity, even now, whether it be mentoring or, or work or meet people in person, I definitely take that opportunity because there's just the, you know, it's, it's great to be able to communicate, um, over the phone or video, everything like that. But, um, it's it's really it's really important if you can talk face to face too. Yeah, it's it's still the the thing that you find it is 
such a massive difference between any other way of interacting with someone physically being sat there across the desk or across a cup of coffee chatting you, the relationship building is, is it's exponential on how much better it can be done than compared to being on the phone i always find um and i've had the same sort of experience when as soon as you meet someone and you have a chat and you get to know them the the, the next the next conversations on the video or on the phone just are so much easier and smoother to deal with from both sides, I find. So I, the next question I've got um, relates really to how I first heard of you, um, which was uh, it was a LinkedIn post from someone. I can't recall who. I guess it no, I can't recall who. I'm not going to try and give someone the credit or, or <laughs> of it. Um, which shared a, a, a article that you wrote on a blog called ProProjectManager.com. And it was about your journey uh, to the PGMP certification. And I found it really, a really entertaining read. And hence the reason I reached out to have a chat. And, and also the fact that how um, really honest the the blog was on there and about the journey on there so do, do you want to just talk to that and just t t tell us the paraphrase that a little bit sure sure well thank you for those kind words so you know i i became a pmp in 2009 and then in 2013 i had a goal a performance goal I was working at Western Union. I had a performance goal to get a certification. So a lot of my peers were going to try to achieve the PMP. For me, I already had that one, so I had to do something else. And you know, I had already been working more and managing programs, and thought, well, I I knew that um, PMI had uh, started the new certification for program management. And I thought, oh, well, maybe I could achieve this. You know, maybe I, I could do that. So I researched it and found out that I had enough um, uh, educational hours and experience that I could be qualified to apply for it. And um, so I decided to pursue that and select that certification to go for. Um, and so, you know, after going through the PMP, I've, I've never been one you know, I don't think anybody loves, loves taking tests, but I've never been one to um, like, like standardized tests, you know, and, but I thought, okay, well, well, you know, it's part of the journey. I, I did the PMP. It can't be that much different. And it really was, um, you know, the, the program management or PGMP application was definitely more intense. Um, it started out where, you do the application online, and then you have to kind of write uh, experience summaries or essays of your program management experience. And with very minimal words, you have to do this and see if they'll be accepted for you to move on on, you know, the, the online application. And so, you know, after those are submitted, your application can be randomly selected for audit, which I was a lucky one and it was selected <laughs> for audit. So, you know, you wait for, you have to submit basically proof of everything that you've put in your application. And um, 
you know, once you complete that audit, you are, they tell you if you can move on. And then um, the. So on, so on that, that proof, just sorry to interrupt. Yes, no, go ahead. With, with the proof, in it, what, what did you do? What was the, the proof? Was that testimonial from people who you worked with or worked for or Andy, those pieces of work? or? Yes. So that? from an education point of view, you know, from my college transcript, yeah, okay. basically, yeah. and then um, for the for the summaries that I had to write, I had to select programs and, you know, write what I did, how I managed them, how I managed the programs. And so for those, um, for those summaries, I had to put down the contact information of my direct manager and, um, they had to basically, um, verify what I had written to be true, but without my involvement, if that makes sense. So mm -hmm. that, you know, they, they basically are mailed a copy of what I've submitted and then they have to kind of agree and certify that the information is correct. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It was just, just curiosity there on how, how they did that. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it, you know, there's really when you're filling out that application, there should be there should be nothing you should worry about. It's just that that it kind of delays the whole process. <laughs> um, and, you know, you have you have 90 days to submit the documentation. Um, but then with the program management exam, you know, the the really so. Step one was the application and the summaries. Step two was the audit for me. Most people are don't have to go through that, but I did. Um, and then step three was an evaluation panel. So, um, you know, basically PMI has a panel of individuals that would read these experience summaries to determine if, you know, that what I've what I've submitted is is valid program management experience in order to move forward with the certification process. So, you know, these are individuals that don't know me. They're just reading what I wrote in 350 words. Yeah. <laughs> and would they, would they approve, would a panel of my peers, you know, approve me to move on? And, um, you know, the, they give you tips, you know, when you're applying for the exam, they give you tips on, on how you should write your summaries, meaning that it should be from your point of view, you know, like what I specifically did in managing my programs, not kind of what my projects teams did, but really my own true experience. Mm -hmm. And so um, luckily um, those were approved and then I was ready to take, you know, I was qualified and ready to schedule a time for the exam. So, I studied and studied and, you know, I had the book, I had multiple books, I had exam test questions. Um, I felt ready to take the exam um, and I, I, and I failed and I was devastated. I was just, I couldn't believe I failed, honestly. You know, I, I passed the PMP on the first try. I wasn't really, uh, I don't know, to be honest, I just, wasn't used to failing, you know, I did well in school and I just, I really don't even know what went wrong. Um, and I was devastated because here I was, I had, you know, this work performance goal. Everybody at work knew I was taking the exam. 
I had to go back to work. I had to, you know, I had to tell my director who originally, you know, when I, when I was taking this exam, originally this is the man who hired me into Western Union. So I was just like terrified and upset and just so scared to even go into work. You know, it was just, it was just horrible. Like I, I couldn't believe this happened to me. And then, um, it sounds like you beat yourself up quite a lot there. Yeah. I just, I mean, looking back, like it's just, you know, it, it was, it was just hard. And then I'll, you know, I will never forget what, what he said to me. Like I went and was in his office and, you know, here is, you know, my director with, you know, more older than me, more work experience than me, someone I truly respect. And, um, you know, he said to me, he's like, Patty, you tried. He's like, that's more than what I did. You know, he's like, you tried, you can do it again. You know, you can try again. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it, it just, I don't know, it just really bothered me for a while. Like, I just kind of had to, like, walk away from it and just, you know, kind of get over people asking me about it and just, I don't know, move on. But I really wasn't, you know, I gave myself a little bit of time and then I decided I was going to try again. But I knew that if I had to, I knew that if I was going to take it again, I needed a better way. I needed to figure out something, you know, I just, I don't know. I just needed to figure out something else. So I did some research with some people that had passed the exam and, you know, this was, a, I was very new and take, like the certification was new and I was really new in the process of taking it. And, um, and so I did some reading, you know, got some tips from people that had passed. And one of the, one person or several people had actually suggested um, reading the standards book six times. And it is, um, I was like, how can I read this six times? Like, I, I think for the first time, I had actually read the book about two times. And I was like, how can I read this book six times? How am I going to do this? Like, but I knew I had to do something different. I had to, you know, I, I really had to do something different. So I set out and to read that book six times. And I put that book on the treadmill and I... <laughs> I didn't put this in my article, but I honestly think I lost like five, 10 pounds on the treadmill <laughs> reading that book. Um, That's unusual, isn't it? Losing, yeah, so losing it weight while reading. <laughs> you know, it was win-win because I ended up um, taking the test again and I this time I passed and, you know, I had lost weight. <laughs> um, it was just, uh, you know, it's funny though. After reading that book multiple, multiple you know, multiple times, the information kind of, it's, it's stuck a different way. And I really, it's hard to put it in words, but it just like, it's like, I knew it. I knew it backwards and forwards. I knew what the standards were. And I was so much more confident taking the exam again. And I ended up, you know, I ended up passing and getting my certification and it was a great feeling I remember being so nervous to go in there and take it again but um you know I passed the exam and then but I still wasn't done like this is this is the thing now this is a part where no longer a PMI has taken the the last step that I had to go through out of the exam process now but there was 
when I took it, there was a step called the multi-rater assessment. And I had to put down um, my peers and managers and directors. I had to give them a list of references um, that could really do kind of like a 360 review of my progress. And at the time, all of those individuals had to respond. So they would get an email and have to complete a survey for me. And if one of them didn't respond, then my certification could have been in jeopardy. So did, so, did they give you a, a, a number that you had to nominate? A number of people I, a general? I think it was almost, you know, I don't exactly remember how many people it was, but it was close. I, I want to say it was somewhere between like five and 10 people. It's a lot of people to corral, isn't it? <laughs> it was. And, you know, one thing with, um, you know, one thing that I, I put in my, my article was that it's, you know, you work with people and you, um, you know, sometimes you don't talk to them for a while or you leave a company and you don't stay in touch with people. And when you're applying for certifications down the road, it's really important that you keep in touch and, and have these references. That's why I love LinkedIn. <laughs> yes. Yes. And, you know, and I remember, actually, I had um, one of my managers, he was out of the country in, you know, vacation with his family. And when I finally got in touch with him, he's like, I just got back. I'll do it, you know. But, I mean, it was – you've – yeah. You know, I've you've gone through all of I've gone through all of this and I really didn't want, um, you know, the lack of response by someone who didn't see an email or, you know, to to jeopardize the whole process. And so it's funny because you would have thought with that sort of thing, uh, maybe it's timing and that with that sort of thing, you could kick it off at the beginning of the process. Couldn't you really? You could have, if, you know, I mean, you could have had that that if they'd said, right, those that alongside everything else. It's a, it's a, uh, what's the name? Um, survey monkey thing, isn't it? And just have one of those sat on the side as people go through it and you chase them through the whole process. And then if you don't get to the end, well, some people have done some stuff for you. But if you do, it uh, would have saved some time, wouldn't it? Yeah, I know. I, you know, and I'm, I'm not certain as to why PMI no longer um, requires the, this evaluation at the yeah. end, but I certainly oh. support them removing it. Yeah, the only thing I can think of is, is with that is you, you think about it. You think, well, you're not, you're never going to choose people who aren't going to support you. It's like references, isn't it, on a, on a, a CV? Right. You, you choose people who you, you know and trust and you know have a good opinion of you and you've, you would have spoken to them and said, I'm doing this, please, can you help me? So what, what, what is going to happen other than tripping up a few people who have probably got the experience and validity of having it just because someone, as you say, has misses an email or is off on holiday in the timescale. So probably it probably just stopped people getting it rather than making sure the people getting it was a, a valid evaluation, really, isn't it? Probably doing the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not sure. But luckily, all of my references supported me. And, you know, then you get notification where my certification was granted. So, you know, in my article, I have wrote that, you know, the first time that I failed, I mean, those those results, you know, those test results are are on your PMI profile. So, you know, if I log in to my profile after our call, you know, I see 
the date that I failed and I also see the date that I passed that exam. Everything's permanently saved there. So that was, you know, it was nice to see that, um, that, that pass, you know, passing the exam. And then, you know, fortunately I was asked, um, after I passed and got my certification, I was asked by PMI to attend um, an exam workshop. And it ended up being in Las Vegas, which was super fun. Um, and I got to go and help uh, review and write future exam test questions. So that was pretty cool because, you know, I felt like I was just I felt so great that I had passed the exam and then to be able to give back to my, you know, give back and help support others who are taking the exam. Um, it would be, you know, it was just an awesome opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, with, with all that I went through to get this particular certification, you know, I was, I'm proud of it. I was, it was a hard road to get there. You know, if, uh, the late, you know, I, I started mentoring for PMI recently, and I met the lady who asked me to write this article, this an article for her blog, um, at my mentoring event because she had never really met another PGMP in person. You know, it's it's something yeah, that I not, don't. There's not many you know, of you around, is there? No, there isn't. I mean, I I I personally don't have not met another person even in my town um who has the certification um you know there's people all over the world that have it but i mean it's a small number of us so she had really you know she said that it was not something that she could ever write about and she asked me to share my story and i you know i'd never really i would never have been in the right mindset to do it you know, especially when I was taking the exam or felt or failed the exam. But, you know, I thought maybe it would be a good story to share because a lot of and some of the comments that I've received after writing that article is that, you know, a lot of people share their successes and that's awesome to do. But a lot of people don't share, you know, their failures and then keep trying and then share their successes. So when I had the opportunity to do so, I thought, why not? Maybe it'll help somebody else to not give up and really achieve what they want to achieve. That's uh, and and that, yeah, and and I kind of got that when I read it. It was, um, as you say, an unusual. Um, as, and, and as I said, an honest um, view of how you felt there. It's not often that people will um, admit to uh, being as upset about something like this. And I know it's all to do with how much effort you've put in and things like that. And I sp the question I'd, I kind of asked you when you had that thing, and I know it's like the PMP, isn't it? It's that um, you hover with your finger over the mouse button, over the complete button um, and... Yeah, your your heart is in your in your mouth, isn't it? Um, <laughs> each time, because you, you you regardless of how you feel, you're never sure on these things. And so you you clicked it that first time, and um, you the, the way you felt, you were crying, and 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 you were terrified of uh, going into work. What can you remember that? Whilst obviously it was positive, when you clicked that button, then it came up pass. How did, what was that feeling like? 
oh my god it was awesome like I just I remember like you're in a testing center okay Mm -hmm. so like Literally that day, I'm driving to the testing center. I'm going in the same testing center, you know, that I that I failed the first time, right? Jaws they... music playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is, like, you take, I mean, you take all the exam questions, right? And then the computer, like, you're sitting in front of this computer. And literally, like, I, I it's almost like the computer is thinking. Because it's like the screen turns blue. <laughs> and it's almost like you can hear it, like, you know, just like, I don't know. It's it's like, it's like it turned blue. It was completely like almost blue screen of whatever. And then all of a sudden it came up pass. And I was like, oh my God, like, thank goodness. It was just, honestly, I think it was such a sense of relief. And I was just like, I just couldn't even, I was just so thankful that I, <laughs> that this time I passed. And, um, you know, you, you kind of, you, you can leave the testing center cause it's all secure. So mm. like you can get up from the computer and you walk out and they give you a piece of paper because I think the challenging thing with the PMI tests are they never, you know, you never, you never walk out of there knowing how many questions you got right and how many questions you got wrong. It's there's certain domains like areas of focus. And so you're either proficient, you're moderately proficient, or you're low proficient. So, you know, I don't know if I failed the first test because of one question or (laughs) 20. You know, I just, you just don't know. And so, you know, kind of like what areas you did better on than not. And it, you know, it evens out to determine whether or not you pass or fail. But I just remember like, you know, getting that printout, a, a piece of paper, and then you have to lock everything up. So you, you know, you gather your things and then you get in the car and you, you know, this time calling my family and saying, I passed. Oh my God. You know, just a completely different experience. That's brilliant. That's a fantastic story. It's a fantastic story. So um, I, we've been talking now for well over an hour um i really appreciate you giving me so much time it's um fantastic and i'm and my listeners so much time as well there's a few quick questions i want to just wrap up sure um what was the last project related podcast you listened to if you listen to podcasts um i do listen to some podcasts um uh, you know, sometimes it's hard with my little one running around the house <laughs> all the time. Um, but the last Project podcast that I listened to was actually yours. <laughs> <laughs> I'll send the $5 in the post. <laughs> Brilliant. Now, what was the last Project blog that you read? The last Project blog um, that I read was, you know, I do a lot of reading on um, LinkedIn and the PMI (laughs) sites. I don't, you know, I just kind of like get the daily updates and um, reading about um, changes to upcoming certificate. I try to stay on top of certifications and like what's changing in the PMI world. Um, I know PMI is going through an effort now to do uh, testing of of different certifications using a new (laughs) testing center. Um, and, and maybe allowing individuals to do some of the testing 
um, from home, which I thought was interesting. So um, those are some of the areas I've read lately. All right, cool, cool. And last two questions then. What would be your top tip for a seasoned PM that's out there? Someone pretty experienced, something that we you, you may have uh, gone through and thought, oh, yeah, that's something I've forgotten. Sure. So I think um, my my top tip to a seasoned PM is really that you're never too busy to keep learning, even if it's in a different way when life changes. So personally, my PM career changed when I had my son. You know, he's almost two and a half, and I went from working as a full-time PM program manager to um, – to right now I'm home with him full time. Mm -hmm. But I've continued to use my PM skills through volunteering, through mentoring. Um, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm giving back to my profession just in a different way right now. And I have my skills available one day when I do, if I decide, you know, to go back and, and be able to work in a full time capacity. But I really think it's important to keep learning and also keep your certifications active because you work too hard, you know, when you achieve them. You don't want to give that up. Yeah, absolutely. And the final question. Um, If uh, you were going to tell your younger self something on that first day, on that first project that you realized you were the project manager... What, what single nugget of advice would you give yourself? So I touched on this earlier, but it's still something that I believe in every day is that building relationships is so important in project management. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to walk and talk with like all levels of management. You know, one thing I always tell younger PMs is ask people what their preferred communication style is. Do you, you know, do you want me to stop by my office? Do you want to text me? Do you want to email me, phone? You know, just really get to know people and trust, um, and trust, you know, your project team members because they know, um, they know their roles and what they do better than you do. So you really just need to, you know, trust your team, get to know them, learn from them, and then lastly, make sure that you celebrate with them. Brilliant. Well, that wraps up the interview. Um, if people wanted to get in touch with you, um, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Or maybe on your mentoring or, or just to find out more about what you went through on the PGMP? Um, my information is uh, available on LinkedIn. And I'm happy to connect with anyone who reaches out to me. Please do. I love talking with people and getting to know people. And, um, you know, if I can, if I can help others, um, I certainly will. Brilliant. Brilliant. Well, all I say is thank you very much again for uh, giving me so much time. Uh, it's been a really entertaining interview. And um, I'll let you get back to the rest of your day. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So many thanks to Patty and good luck to anyone trying to get their PGMP. Uh, It looks like a bit of a 
a struggle there, but uh, from listening to Patty, it's well worth it. And all it leaves for me to say is if you know anyone interested in taking part on the project management podcast, please get them to get in touch with me at Sunday lunch PM pod at nigelcreaser.com. If you've got any questions, you can ping it to the same email address or get hold of me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc., 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 with the handle Sunday lunch PM. And as ever, if you want to support the show, the easiest way is share it. The next easiest is five-star reviews on whatever platform you listen to. Grab a copy of When I Were a Project Manager or grab a copy of Project Management The Sketches. Support me on Patreon. But more importantly, as I always say, come back next time and listen again. And remember, project management is funny. And don't forget that hashtag. Bye now. Well, it's goodbye from me, Nigel Creaser. And it's goodbye from him, the Sunday Lunch PM. Goodbye.